The desire of Titus Women is to invite women around the world to know Jesus as their Savior, Center, and Source. May God guide and encourage you through this message. Part 4, They Come to Vanity Fair. When the two pilgrims were almost out of the wilderness, Faithful chanced to look back and beheld Evangelist coming after them. When he came up to them, he saluted them and asked, How have you fared since the time of our last parting? Then Christian and Faithful told him of all the things that had happened to them in the way, and with what difficulty they had arrived at that place. Then am I glad, said Evangelist, not that you have met with trials, but that you have been victors. I have sowed, and you have reaped. The crown is before you, if you hold out. Hold fast what you have, for you are not yet out of gunshot of the devil. You have not resisted unto blood striving against sin. Set your face like a flint. You have all power in heaven and earth on your side. We are grateful for these exhortations, but tell us more that will help us on the rest of the way, since you are a prophet. My sons, you have heard of the truth of the gospel, that you must through many tribulations enter into the kingdom of heaven. You have found something of the truth of this already. When you leave this wilderness and enter the town ahead of you, you will be beset by enemies who will seek to kill you. But be you faithful unto death, and the king will give you a crown of life. When they were come out of the wilderness, they presently saw a town before them that bore the name Vanity Fair, because all the things sold there are vain. The fair was no new erected business, but was a thing of long standing. Almost five thousand years ago, Beelzebub, Apollyon, and Legion, with their companions, contrived the fair along the path of ancient pilgrims to seduce them. All who would go to the celestial city must needs go through the town. When Christian and Faithful went through the fair, all the people there were moved into a hubbub about them, because first the pilgrims were clothed in raiment different from any other that traded in that fair. As they wondered at their apparel, so they did at their speech for few could understand what they said. Naturally, they spoke the language of Canaan, but they who kept the fair were men of this world. Also, these pilgrims were indifferent to all the wares set before them. If they were called upon to buy, they would put their fingers in their ears and cry, Turn away mine eyes from beholding vanity! One chanced mockingly, beholding the manner of the men, What will you buy? But they looked gravely upon him and said, We buy the truth. At that 
there was an occasion taken to despise the men more, some mocking, some taunting, some speaking reproachfully, and some calling on others to smite them. At last there was such a stir in the city that some of the deputies apprehended Christian and faithful and brought them to a place for examination. They were asked where they came from and what they were doing in the city in such unusual garb. The men told them they were pilgrims and strangers in the world and that they were going to their own country, the heavenly Jerusalem. They also said that they had given no occasion to the men of the town to abuse them. The examiners still believed them to be mad and at least intent upon causing confusion in the fair. Therefore they took them and beat them and besmeared them with dirt and put them in a cage that they might be a spectacle to all at the fair. Some men at the fair who were less prejudiced tried to check the continual abuses of the angry ones. However, Christian and faithful continued to receive ignominy and shame from the many in the city and were kept in the cage with their feet fast in the stocks. A convenient time being appointed, they were brought forth for trial. The judge's name was Hate Good. The indictment was this. They were enemies to and disturbers of the trade. They made commotions and divisions in the town and won some to their most dangerous opinions in contempt of the law of their prince. Then Faithful began to answer that he had only set himself against that which was opposed to him who was the highest. As for disturbance, he was a man of peace. The people whom they had influenced were won by beholding truth and innocence. And concerning the king of the city, since he is Beelzebub, the enemy of the Lord, faithful would defy him and all his angels. The proclamation was then made that they who had anything to say for their Lord, the king, against the prisoner at the bar, should forthwith appear and give their evidence. Three witnesses came, envy, superstition, and pickthank. After being sworn in, envy stepped forth. Uh, my lord, this man, notwithstanding his plausible name, is one of the vilest men in our country. He regards neither prince nor people, law nor customs. By asserting the superiority of Christianity, he condemns both our city and its laudable people. Then they called superstition and asked what he could say against him. My lord, I have no great acquaintance with this man However, I know he is a very pestilent fellow. I heard him say that our religion was naught, that we still worshipped in vain, 
and are yet in our sins, and finally will be damned. Then Pickthank was bidden to say what he knew in behalf of their lord, the king, against the prisoner at the bar. Uh, gentlemen all, I have known this fellow for a long time. He has railed on our noble prince Beelzebub, and has spoken contemptibly of such honourable friends as Lord Carnal Delight, Lord Luxurious, Sir Having Greed, and my Lord Lechery. Besides, he has not been afraid to rail on you, my Lord, who are now appointed to be his judge. When Pickthank had told his tale, the judge directed his speech to the prisoner at the bar, saying, Thou renegade, heretic, and traitor, have you heard what these honest gentlemen have witnessed against you? May I speak a few words in my own defence? Sir, you deserve to live no longer, yet that all men may see our gentleness towards you. Let us hear what a vile renegade like you has to say. In answer to what Mr. Envy has spoken, I never said anything about rules or laws or customs or people that contradict the word of God. If I have said anything amiss in this, I am ready here before you to make my recantation. As to the second, to wit Mr. Superstition's charge against me, I said only that in the worship of God there is required a divine faith. Therefore, what is thrust into the worship of God that does not agree with divine revelation will not be profitable to eternal life. As for Mr. Pickthank, the prince of this town, with all the rabble and his attendants, he is more fit to be uh, being in hell than in this town and country. Then the judge said to the jury, Gentlemen of the jury, you see this man about whom so great an uproar has been made? You have also heard what these worthy gentlemen have witnessed against him. Also you have heard his reply and confession. It lies now with you to hang him and or to save his life. The jury then went out. Their names were Mr. Blindman, Mr. No Good, Mr. Malice, Mr. Lovelust, Mr. Liveloose, Mr. Heady, Mr. High Mind, Mr. Enmity, Mr. Liar, Mr. Cruelty, Mr. Hate Light, and Mr. Implacable. Each gave his private verdict, and afterwards unanimously concluded to bring faithful guilty before the judge. Mr. Blindman, the foreman, said, I see clearly that this man is a heretic. 
Others said that he was a rogue, a liar, a scrub, or other derogatory names, and that he ought to be killed. And so they did. He was condemned to the most cruel death that is known. According to their law, they brought him out, scourged him, buffeted him, and lanced his flesh with knives. After that, they stoned him, then pricked him with their swords. Last of all, they burned him to ashes at the stake. Thus came faithful to his end. Now I saw that there stood behind the multitude a chariot and two horses waiting for faithful, who was taken up into it and straightway carried up through the clouds with the sound of trumpet to the celestial gate. Christian was remanded back to the prison and remained there for a time. But he who overrules all things, having the power of their rage in his hands, made it possible for Christian to escape them. Hence, he once more went on his way. Now I saw in my dream that Christian went not forth alone, for there was one whose name was Hopeful, who joined with him. Thus one died bearing testimony to the truth, and another arose out of his ashes to be a companion on the pilgrimage. I saw also that soon after they were out of the fair, they overtook one ahead of them whose name was Byens. What countrymen, sir? And how far go you this way? they asked. He told them that he came from a town of fair speech and that he was going to the celestial city, but he told them not his name. From fair speech? I have heard of the place. They say it is a wealthy place. I assure you that it is. I have many rich kindred there. Pray, who are your kindred there? Almost the whole town. Uh, but in particular, my Lord Turnabout, Lord Timesaver, and Lord Fairspeech, uh, from whose ancestors the town first took its name. Then Christian stepped aside to Hopeful, saying, It runs in my mind that this is one buy-ins of fair speech. If it is, we have a great knave in our company, as great as dwells in these parts. Uh, are you married? Uh, yes, and my wife is a very virtuous woman, Lady Feigning's daughter, of a very noble and honourable family. Tis true, we differ in religion from those of the stricter sort, but only in two small points. First, we never strive against wind and tide. Second, we are always most zealous when religion goes in its silver slippers and people applaud. If you go with us, 
You must go against wind and tide, which I perceive is against your opinion. You must also own religion in its rags, as well as in its silver slippers, and stand by him when bound in irons or walking the streets with applause. You must not impose on or lord it over my faith. Leave me to my liberty, and let me go with you. Not a step further, unless you will do what we say in this matter. I shall never desert my old principles, since they are harmless and profitable. I saw in my dream that Christian and Hopeful forsook him and kept their distance before him. But one of them, looking back, saw three men following Mr. Byans. Their names were Mr. Hold the World, Mr. Money Love, and Mr. Save All, men that Mr. Byans had known formerly, for they were all schoolfellows and were taught by one Mr. Gripe Man, a schoolmaster in Lovegame, a market town in the county of Coveting. The schoolmaster had taught them the art of getting, either by violence, flattery, lying, or by putting on a disguise of religion. Mr. Moneylove said to Mr. Byans, Who are they upon the road ahead of us? Christian and Hopeful were yet in view. Uh, they are a couple of far countrymen who, after their mode, are going on pilgrimage. Alas, why did they not stay with, uh, with us that they might be good company with us? For they and we are all going on pilgrimage. Uh, we are, indeed. But the men before us are so rigid and love so much their own notions, so lightly esteem the opinion of others, that even if a man is ever so godly, uh, if he jumps not with them in all things, they thrust him out of their company. Uh, that is bad. <laughs> We read of some that uh, are righteous overmuch. Then Christian and Hopeful went forth again till they came to a delicate plain called Ease, which they quickly passed over. On the farther side of that plain was a little hill called Luca, and in the hill a silver mine, in which some had formerly gone to view because of the rarity of it. Going too near to the brim of the pit, some have fallen to their death. Others were badly maimed. I saw in my dream that a little off the road from the silver mine stood Demas, to call passengers to come to see. He now called out, Ho! Turn aside to what I will show you.
what things are so deserving as to turn aside out of the way to see it. Here is a silver mine. If you will come and dig in it, you may richly provide for yourselves. Uh, then let us go and see. Not I. That place is a snare to those that seek it, for it hinders them in their pilgrimage. Then Christian asked Demas, Is not this place dangerous? Not very dangerous, except to those who are careless. But he blushed as he spoke. Hopeful, let us not stir a step but still keep on our way. I warrant you that when Byens arrives and receives the same invitation, he will turn in to see it. No doubt that is true, for his principles lead him that way. Then Demas called again. But will you not come over and see? Demas, you are an enemy to the right ways of the Lord and are already condemned for your turning aside by one of his majesty's judges. Thus they went on their way. By this time, Byans and his companions came within sight and at the first invitation went over to Demas. Now, whether they fell into the pit by looking over the brink, or whether they went down to dig, or whether they were smothered in the bottom of the damps that commonly arise, I'm not certain. But I observed that they were never seen again in the way. I saw that on the other side of the plain, the pilgrims came to a place where stood an old monument by the highway. They were both concerned, because it seemed to them as if it had been a woman transformed into the shape of a pillar. Hopeful saw above the head some writing in an unusual hand and asked Christian what it said, as he could not read. The saying was, Remember Lot's wife. Both of them concluded that this was the pillar of salt into which Lot's wife was turned for looking back with a covetous heart when she was going from Sodom for safety. Doubting Castle I saw then that they went on their way to a pleasant river, which David called the River of God, but John the River of Life. Now their way lay upon the bank of this river, and Christian and his companion walked with great delight. They also drank of the water of the river, which enlivened their weary spirits. 
On the banks of this river, on either side, were green trees with all manner of fruit. On either side of the river was also a meadow, curiously beautified with lilies. It was green all the year long. In this meadow they lay down and slept, for there they might lie down safely. When they awoke, they gathered some of the fruit from the trees, drank again of the water of the river, and then lay down again to sleep. This they did for several days and nights. When they were disposed to go on, they soon discovered that the river and the way parted for a time, which disturbed them, for they dared not go out of the way. The way from the river was rough, and their feet tender because of their travels. But as they went on, they saw on the left side of the road a meadow called Bypath. Then said Christian to his companion, If this meadow lies along the way, let's go over into it. Here is the easiest going. But what if the path should lead us out of the way? That is not likely. Does it not go by the road? So hopeful, being persuaded, went over the stile with his companion. Soon they saw a man walking, whose name was Vain Confidence. He too said that the way led to the celestial gate. Look, said Christian, did I not tell you so? But behold, the night came on and it grew very dark. Vain confidence, not seeing the way before him, fell into a deep pit and was dashed to pieces by the fall. Christian and his fellow heard the fall, but when they called, there was no answer but a groan. Then it began to thunder and lightning in a most dreadful manner, and the water rose amain. Hopeful groaned in himself, saying, Oh, oh, that I had kept in the way. Who would have thought that this path would lead us astray? I am sorry, good brother, that I have put you in such imminent danger. Please forgive me. Be comforted, my brother, for I forgive you and believe this shall be for our good. I am glad I have a merciful brother to go with me. But we must not stand here. Let us try to go back again. Then they heard a voice of one saying, Let your heart be toward the highway, even the way that you went in. But by the time the waters were greatly risen, they had difficulty. Yet they tried to go back, although it was very dark, and the flood very high. At last, lighting under a little shelter, they sat down till the day broke. Not far from the place where they lay down was a castle called Doubting Castle, owned by one giant despair. It was on his grounds that they were now sleeping.
Early in the morning, while he was walking in the fields, he caught Christian and Hopeful sleeping on his grounds. With a grim and surly voice, he bade them to waken and asked them where they had come from and why they were sleeping on his grounds. They told him they were pilgrims who had lost their way. Then said the giant, You have this night trespassed on my grounds, therefore you must go along with me. They were thus forced to go, as he was stronger than they, and they knew they were at fault. The giant put them in his castle in a very dark dungeon. Here they lay from Wednesday morning till Saturday night without bread or drink or light. In this place, Christian had double sorrow, for it was through his unadvised counsel that they were brought into such distress. Giant Despair had a wife named Diffidence, who, when told of the pilgrims in the dungeon, counseled him to beat them without mercy. Then the giant, using a crabtree cudgel, fell upon them and beat them unmercifully. Then he left them to console themselves as best they could. The next night, understanding the two were still alive, Diffidence counseled her husband to advise them to do away with themselves. When morning came, he confronted the pair in a surly manner and said that since they would likely never get out of that place, they should end themselves with knife, noose, or poison. Why should they choose to live when their lives were attended by such bitterness? Brother, what shall we do? The life we now live is miserable. For my part, I do not know whether it is better to live this way or to die by our own hand. My soul chooses strangling rather than life, and the grave is easier for me than the dungeon. Shall we be ruled by the giant? Indeed, our present condition is dreadful, and death would be far more welcome than abiding this place forever. But let us consider what the Lord of the country where we are going has said, Thou shalt do no murder. If we are forbidden to kill another, much more should we refrain from killing ourselves. As for the grave, what ease will there be there? For hell awaits murderers. Also others have been taken by giant despair and have escaped. I am resolved to be patient and to endure a while and to try my utmost to get from under his hand. Towards evening, when the giant went to see whether the prisoners had taken his counsel, he saw them alive and well. He flew into a rage and told them, since they had not obeyed him, it would be worse for them than if they had never been born. At this they trembled greatly. Christian fell into a swoon, and later talked again about following the giant's counsel, but hopeful stood his ground. Remember 
how valiant you have been before. Apollyon, nor the valley of the shadow of death, nor other hardships have stopped you heretofore. Remember, I am wounded as well as you, and am by nature a weaker man than you. Remember at Vanity Fair, you were afraid of neither the chain nor of the cage, nor bloody death. Let us now bear up with patience as well as we can. That night, when Diffidence asked her husband concerning the prisoners, he replied, They are sturdy rogues. They choose rather to bear all hardships than to do away with themselves. Then said she, Take them to the castle yard tomorrow and show them the bones and skulls of those who've already dispatched and uh, make believe you will tear them in pieces as you have others before them. So when morning was come, the giant took the pilgrims and showed them the castle yard and settled to kill them in like fashion. He then beat them and drove them back to the den. About midnight, the two began to pray and continued until almost daybreak. Suddenly, Christian, as one half amazed, broke out into passionate speech. What a fool I am to lie stinking in a dungeon when I may walk at liberty. I have a key in my bosom called promise. <laughs> I'm persuaded it will open the lock of Downty Castle. That is good news, said Hopeful. Then Christian pulled the key out of his bosom and tried it in the dungeon door, whose bolt gave way and the door flew open with ease. He also opened the door that led into the castle yard, and he and Hopeful walked out. The iron gate to the outside opened to them also, but it made such a creaking sound that the giant despair awoke and tried to pursue them. However, he fell into a fit, and his limbs failed, so that he was unable to follow them. As they went on, they came to the king's highway, and so were safe, for they were out of giant despair's jurisdiction. The pilgrims went on till they came to the delectable mountains, which belonged to the Lord of the Hill, of which we have spoken. They beheld in the mountains gardens, orchards, vineyards, and fountains of waters, where they ate and drank and washed themselves. On the top of these mountains they saw shepherds feeding their flocks, and asked whose mountains and whose sheep these were. These mountains are Emmanuel's land, and they are within sight of his city. The sheep also are his, and he laid down his life for them. Is this the way to the celestial city? You are just in your way. 
How far is it? Too far for any but those who uh, are determined to get there. Is the way safe or dangerous? Safe for those who have sold all to buy it, but transgressors shall fall therein. Is there any place here for relief of pilgrims who are weary? The Lord of these mountains has given us a charge to not forget to entertain strangers. Therefore, the good of the place is before you. The shepherds, whose names are knowledge, experience, watchful, and sincere, took them by the hand to their tents, where they housed them till the next day. In the morning, the shepherds asked Christian and Hopeful to walk with them upon the mountains. So they went forth, having a pleasant prospect on every side. The shepherds said one to another, Shall we show these pilgrims some wonders? When they concluded to do it, they first led them to the top of the hill called Era, which was very steep on the farther side, and bade them look down to the bottom. Christian and Hopeful looked down and saw several men dashed to pieces by a fall from the top. These were a warning for others not to climb too high or walk too near to the brink of the mountains. Then the shepherds took them to a place where there was a door in the hill. Beside the door was darkness and smoke. Also we heard a rumbling noise and a cry of some who were tormented. What means this? The shepherds said that this was the byway to hell. Hypocrites go there, that is, such as sell their birthright, as Esau, such as sell their masters, as Judas, and such as blaspheme the gospel, as Alexander. Then said the shepherds one to another, Let us show the pilgrims the gate of the city. If they have skill to look through our perspective glass. So they took them to the top of the hill, called Clear, and gave them the glass to look. Then they tried to look, but the memory of what the shepherds had shown them made their hands shake so that they could not see steadily through the glass, though they thought they saw something like the gate and something of the glory of the place. They then went on their way singing. Now, a little below these mountains, on the left, lies the country of Conceit, from which came a crooked lame. Here Christian and Hopeful met one named Ignorance, walking at a brisk place. Christian inquired of him about the nature of his journey, and was told that he was going to the celestial city, as they were. How do you propose to get in at the gate? For you may find some difficulty there. 
as other good people do. But what have you to show at the gate, that it may be open to you? I know my Lord's will, and have lived a good life. I pay every man what I owe. I pray, I pay for, uh, pray and fast and, and, and tithe and, and, and give alms and, and, and have, uh, have left my country for where I'm, I'm going. But you came not in at the wicked gate at the head of this way, but came in here through the crooked lane. Even though you may think well of yourself, the reckoning day will come and you will be charged with being a thief and a robber rather than being admitted to the city. Gentlemen, you are utter strangers to me. Be content to follow the religion of your country and I will follow the religion of mine. I hope all will be well. As for the gate you speak of, it is a great way off from our country. I don't think anyone in our religion even knows the way to it, nor needs to, since a pleasant green lane comes from our country. When Christian saw that the man was wise in his own conceit, he whispered to Hopeful, There is more hope for a fool than for him. Let us pass him by, if you will, and talk to him later, if he is able to bear it. So they both went on, and ignorance came after. Now after a while they perceived afar off one coming softly, alone, along the highway towards them. Then Christian said to his friend, Yonder is a man with a back toward Zion, coming our way. The man drew nearer and asked the pair where they were going. We are going to Mount Zion. Then atheist fell into a great laughter. <laughs> what is the meaning of your laughter? <laughs> I laugh to see what ignorant persons you are to take upon yourself such a journey. <laughs> and there is not such a place as you dream of in all the world. <laughs> but there is in the world to come. Oh, when I, oh, when I was at home in my own country, I heard what you now affirm, but I went out to see for myself and <laughs> have been seeking this city for twenty years, <laughs> but find no more of it than I did at the first day I set out. <laughs> we have both heard and believe that there is such a place to be found. <laughs> I have gone seeking farther than you, and I'm going back again, <laughs> and will seek to refresh myself with the things I've cast away. 
then said Christian to Hopeful, Is what this man says true? Take heed, he is one of the flatterers. Remember what we have already suffered from following one of these. What, no Mount Zion? Did we not see from the delectable mountains the gate of the city? Also, are we not now to walk by faith? Let us go on, lest the man with the whip overtake us again. My brother, I did not ask you because I doubted, but to prove you. As for this man, I know he is blinded by the God of this world. Let us go on, knowing that we believe the truth. Now I do rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So they turned away from the man, and he, laughing at them, went his way. <laughs> if you want to learn more about Titus Women, visit us online at TitusWomen.org.